Lord, this morning we come to worship you because you are God, you're the true God. Pray, Lord, that the service would be done to bring honor and glory to your name. Meet needs, Lord, in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thank you. you. May be seated. Number 269, just flip one page over. Under his wings. Someday the sin 
that say someday the silver cord will break, and I no more as now shall sing, but all the joy when I awake within the palace of the king. There's a Bible story about that. There's a Bible story about that. The man's name starts with an M. I will give you nothing. If you can tell me who that man was that one day woke up in the palace of the king, literally. I'll give you a little backstory here. He was lame from his, from his birth when he was five years old. When news of his um, grandfather, Saul, was killed, the nurse dropped him, running away from the palace. And from that time, he was lame since he was five. He grew up in another town, in a town called Lodibar. Hello, Lodibar. And he was an unknown. But because it's related to Jonathan, the king in Jerusalem, King David says, is there anybody left living in the house of Saul that I can be kind to, show kindness to? For Jonathan's sake, they're best friends. And then the servant says, ah, Saul. Now he didn't say ah, Saul, but he said, ah, there's one descendant left of the house of Saul. His name is, starts with an M. Mephibosheth. And so the king says, fetch for you people who are too modern, go get. Fetch Mephibosheth. Go and bring him back. And so the servant went down, Ziba went down, 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 down from Jerusalem to the town called Lodibar. Lodibar means no bread. And he was crippled, remember? Living by himself. He's a bachelor, which is not a bad thing. He's just living by himself as a single guy. His house is unkept. He's alone. And now there's a knock on the door. And then the, the servant, big six feet four, broad shouldered, really and uh, 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 a Viking type of a guy, knocking on the door. And the man inside the Mephibosheth says, who is it? He says, my name is Ziba. I'm on the king's business. I'm looking for a man named Mephibosheth. That's his name. You see here, Mephibosheth on his cot says, I'm here. The servant says, may I come in? Mephibosheth says, my imagination. The door's not locked, you can come in. He opens the door, squeaks open. And he sees this man, Mephibosheth covers his eyes from the light that comes in from the noonday sun. And he says, what do you want? The, the servant says, I have come to take you back to Jerusalem. I'm on the king's business. I've come to take you. If you are Mephibosheth, can I see your ID? He says, no, I'm the legal alien, so I can come in anytime I want to. Did that go over your head? I don't need an ID. Anyway, he picks him up. He takes him into his chariot and they go up to Jerusalem in his chariot and he presents him to the King David. If you can just imagine, here comes Ziba, strong, muscular, faithful servant. He carried this lame man down that palace. And it says, Your Majesty, gently puts him down. I have come to bring you Mephibosheth. And that night, 2 Samuel, read that 
Second Samuel chapter 9. That night, Ziba, uh, Mephibosheth slept in his own bed with servants, with hot running water on a waterbed. He's got his own big screen TV, refrigerator. He's got all the nice amenities of a Trump hotel. He's got everything. He's in the king's palace. The king tells him, eat anything you like. You want food? You want you want food? You want delivered to your room? Just do this. Just ring the gong, gong, and they'll come running to you, whatever you like. Cheeseburger, ham and rye, whatever you want. Anything you like, except sashimi. Anything you like. <laughs> and so that night, Mephibosheth, he gets a bath for the first time in who knows how long. He gets a bubble bath. I'm making this up, but the story is true. I'm reading between the lines. That night, he puts in a nice, clean pajama and he goes to sleep on silk sheets and he curls up like this and he looks around he looks around he can't believe where he is he falls asleep he wakes up the next morning to the sound of a harp playing to somebody singing a song very pleasant very nice hear birds singing and he looks around he pinches himself he says is this real is this real is this real that's that's about that song where one day he wakes up in the palace of the king. That's Mephibosheth. Read that, 2 Samuel chapter. It's a good story. And one of these days, we who are saved will wake up in the king's palace. One of these days. Y'all say amen to that. Amen. One of these days, you wake up when the Lord says, come up hither, and you're going to rise wherever you are. We got folk there from Australia. What city? Uh, Sydney. Sydney. See, if I look this way, Sydney is here. May I want it down here? Never did like geography, but uh, that's where they're from. And, uh, and we've got a young lady visiting from New Jersey, and you who live around here, different parts of the island. When the Lord says, come up hither, if you're saved, you're going to rise up, and you're going to wake up in the palace of the king one day. You know why you don't believe that? You don't believe that because you have been influenced too much by this world. And this world tells us that's not really real. But if you, if you stick to the Bible and get your face to the Bible and consistently learn the Bible, and you will find out that the Bible is, of course, you know it's true, but it'll be more real to you in that sense. And your affections for heaven will be more strong. Your desire will be more strong. Your interest in this world is kind of less and less. Now, I like baseball, and I wanted the Phillies to win. It so happened the Astros won. My brother-in-law is down in Houston, so he has been dancing for 24 hours. <laughs> He's happy as can be. I want the Philly to win. But, you know, I'm not upset by that. I wanted uh, a certain football team to win last week. They lost. I'm not upset by that. And uh, you know why? It's not because I'm more spiritual than anybody else. It's because my affection is somewhere else. I'm interested. I'm interested. I'm interested. I'm interested in a lot of things. If you play tennis, I'll be your friend. We can play tennis. If you like racquetball, I'll be your friend with racquetball. If you like to eat, I'll be your friend with the meat. But I have other interests as well. And the Bible it says in Colossians chapter 3, in which is set our affection on things above, where our life is hidden in Christ. So I say all that just because that song said that. Okay? Now you're in church today. You are in church. I appreciate you making the time to be in church. I know that sometimes it's difficult to make an effort to get to church. Sometimes the devil makes you want to sleep in. But uh, that's how it works out. 
So if you're, you are in church here, I, I'm looking at you. So you're in church. You've been there for to be in church. I appreciate that. I want to tell you, I'm glad you made it to church. God has something for you in church. I don't know what it is because I don't know what's in your heart, but I know that it's good for you to be in church. And so um, I want to just tell you that, that I appreciate you being here. Now, Nathan, Nathan and uh, Timothy and Matthew are going to fly out this afternoon at the church from here. Going to go to uh, California, Stanford, pick up um, David and Kristen eventually sometime later this week. And so they got free passes from Southwest Airlines. It's a program that they have with Stanford University and the hospital. And so they got free passes, so they get to do that. And I think they get a free pass coming back too to Hawaii. And so pray for them. Uh, I've heard that David is in some pain. And I don't know if that's normal or not, but uh, Chris is trying to find some good meds to help him kind of relieve some of that. So uh, do pray for little David. And uh, we haven't seen him for all this time. And for some of you who don't know, he is now 12, uh, 8, 19, maybe 10 weeks old, 11 weeks old, something like that. And so he just had heart surgery. And so the heart was about that big, or is about that big, which fascinates me how they can do surgery on a heart that big and do it right. Now, if any of you folks don't like medicine, don't like doctors because they're too expensive, I want to tell you something. If you ever had a procedure and it came out good for you, you have a new appreciation for the surgeons, don't you? Next, this month, this month, five years ago, on the Monday after Thanksgiving, I had triple bypass surgery. I didn't even know I had a problem because I'm pretty active. And they got me in the Monday after Thanksgiving. And uh, it was miraculous how everything unfolded where I got to go in uh, immediately. The, one of the surgeons who interviewed me and did some tests with me and shot this up on all that kind of thing, did a stress test. I failed it within 30 seconds. And they looked at the thing, you know, it's just horrible. It's in horrible shape. It's a complete shock. And, um, uh, but Queens is really good. And so that's been five years. It'll be five years coming this coming Thanksgiving. And so uh, literally the Psalm says, my heart is fixed. My heart is fixed. Oh God, my heart is fixed. So uh, Mr. Law, Dr. Law did my surgery. Oh, I mean, he may be retired by now, but I appreciate, I've always appreciated good medicine, good doctors. And I appreciate especially Mr. Lau and uh, the whole staff there. And uh, just really good. Made me feel at ease. We were terrified. My wife and I, we cried when the doctor told us, if, I, if you were my father, I would say, admit yourself right now. And that was a scary thing to hear from a surgeon because of my, my block, blockages that I had. Anyway, that's a good story. I want to pass it on to you. And um, if I had died that day in surgery or if I had killed myself working out to improve my health, which is what I was going to do, you know how silly we are. You know that statement, no pain, no gain? Have you ever heard of that, anybody? No pain, no gain? Let me take another 30 seconds here. I came back from vacation. My wife is still in Texas with my daughter. They had just moved there. And uh, I, was, I was inactive for about two weeks. And then I came back home by myself and I began to play racquetball and go walking and climbing up hills and things. And I had this really heavy, heavy pressing in my chest. Never had that feeling before. It was like someone was stepping on me. And I, I, I walked upstairs at high school. You know, you jog up and then, you know, you recover and you, all this kind of things. But I had a real hard time recovering. A new sensation for me. And I said, well, I must be really out of shape from vacation. And so you know what I did? I'm a man. You know what I did? I did more exercising. I went to Pearl Ridge up and down stairs, walking around, just get back in shape, I thought. 
and I was heaving and just the pain was there. I didn't know what else to call my wife. She said, you better admit this, you better call. I don't have to do that. You know how stupid we are sometimes. You may look at me, you know how stupid you are sometimes. You're gonna do it your way, like the song goes. And she said, well, you better you better take it easy. I said, no, I'm honestly gonna. And so I literally could have killed myself by exercising, playing racquetball and climbing upstairs. And you know what all that was? That was God's mercy and grace that um, kept me from actually, literally, with sincerity, doing something I thought was good for me, but it wasn't. That kind of like people who think that their way to heaven is their way, their right, the right way by works, and faith, and all that kind of thing. And it's all not right. It's all unbiblical. Anyway, there's more to that, but I won't say I'm glad to see you in church today. Let's do this. Uh, we haven't done it for a little bit. Let's all, but everybody stand, stand up. And without any music, shake hands with somebody. We have visitors from Australia and from New Jersey. So just say hello to somebody and pretend to be nice. Ask Francis. Morning, folks. Debbie, and you are Alex. Alex. story of Mephibosheth is a great story. It's something that uh, speaks to what we have today in Jesus Christ. It's something we don't deserve. Mephibosheth didn't do anything. He didn't deserve what he got, but because of what Jonathan did, he was blessed. And it's the same thing with all of us. Because of what Jesus did, those of us that have accepted Jesus as our personal Savior, we're also blessed. 
You know, um, one thing that I've been doing in the prison uh, over the last month is encouraging the men to read the Old Testament because through the Old Testament, Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter uh, 10 that they are written for an example unto us. There are lessons, things that we can learn, things that, you know, things to do and things not to do. And one of the challenges that we have today is the fact that there are so many different voices that are talking into talking onto us. And it's a matter of being discerning and trying to figure out what is true, what is not. This morning, what I'd like to do is I'd like to cover from the book of Joshua, Joshua chapter 3 and Joshua chapter 4. If you'll turn with me there, and as you're turning, um, let me go ahead and read those uh, two chapters. Joshua chapter 3. And Joshua rose early in the morning, and they removed from Chittim, and came to Jordan, he and all the children of Israel, and lodged there before they, they passed over. And it came to pass, after three days, that the officers went through the host, and they commanded the people, saying, When you see the ark of the covenant of the Lord your God, and the priests, the Levites, bearing it, then ye shall remove from your place, and go after it. Yet there shall be a space between you and it. About 2,000 cubits by measure, come not near unto it, that ye may know the way by which ye must go. For ye have not passed this way heretofore. And Joshua said unto the people, Sanctify yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders, wonders among you. And Joshua spake unto the priest, saying, Take up the ark of the covenant, and pass over before the people. And they took up the ark of the covenant, and went before the people. And the Lord said unto Joshua, This day will I begin to magnify thee in the sight of all Israel that they may know that as I was with Moses, so I will be with thee. And thou shalt command the priests that bear the Ark of the Covenant, saying, When you are come to the brink of the water of Jordan, ye shall stand still in Jordan. And Joshua said unto the children of Israel, Come hither, and hear the words of the Lord your God. And Joshua said, Hereby ye shall know that the living God is among you, and that he will fit without fail drive out from before you the Canaanites, and the Hittites, and the Hivites, and the Perizzites, and the Girgashites, and the Amorites, and the Jebusites. Behold, the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord of all the earth passeth over before you on, uh, into Jordan. Now therefore take you twelve men out of the tribes of Israel, out of every tribe of man, and it shall come to pass, as soon as the soles of the feet of the priests that bear the Ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth shall rest in the waters of Jordan, that the waters of Jordan shall be cut off from the waters that come down from above, and they shall stand upon a heap. And it came to pass, when the people removed from their tents to pass over Jordan, and the priests bearing the ark of the covenant before the people. And as they that bear the ark were coming to Jordan, and the feet of the priests that bear the ark were dipped in the brim of the water, for Jordan overflowed all his banks all the time of harvest that the waters which came down from above and rose up upon a heap very far from the city Adam, that is beside Zaratan, and those that came down to toward the sea of the plain, even the salt sea, failed and were cut off. And the people passed over right against Jericho. And the priests that bear the ark of the covenant of the Lord stood firm on dry ground in the midst of Jordan. And all the Israelites passed over on dry ground until the people were passed clean over Jordan. Chapter 4. And it came to pass, when all the people were clean passed over Jordan, that the Lord spake unto Joshua, saying, Take you twelve men out of the people, out of every tribe a man, and command ye them, saying, Take you hence out of the midst of Jordan, out of the place where the priest's feet stood firm, twelve stones, and ye shall carry them over with you, and leave them in the lodging place where ye shall lodge this night. Then Joshua called the twelve men, whom he had prepared of the children of Israel, out of every tribe a man. And Joshua said unto them, 
pass over before the ark of the Lord your God into the midst of Jordan, and take up, take ye up every man of you a stone upon his shoulder, according to the number of the tribes of the children of Israel, that this may be a sign among you, that when your children ask their fathers in time to come, saying, What mean ye um, be by these stones? Then ye shall answer them, that the waters of Jordan were cut off before the ark of the covenant of the Lord, when it came when it passed over Jordan, and the waters of Jordan were cut off. And these stones shall be for a memorial unto the children of Israel forever. And the children of Israel did so as Joshua commanded, and took up twelve stones out of the midst of Jordan, as the Lord spake unto Joshua, according to the number of the tribes and children of Israel, and carried them over with them into the place where they lodged, and laid them down. And Joshua set up twelve stones in the midst of Jordan, in the place where the feet of the priests, which bear the Ark of the Covenant, stood, and they were, um, and they are there unto this day. For the priests which bear the ark stood in the midst of Jordan until everything was finished, that the Lord commanded Joshua to speak unto the people according to all that Moses commanded Joshua. And the people hasted and passed over. And it came to pass when all the people were clean passed over that the ark of the Lord passed over, and the priests in the presence of the people, and the children of Reuben, and the children of Gad, and half the tribe of Manasseh passed over armed before the children of Israel, as Moses spake unto them. About forty thousand prepared for war, passed over before the Lord unto battle, to the plains of Jericho. On that day the Lord magnified Joshua in the sight of all Israel, and they feared him, as they feared Moses all the days of his life. And the Lord spake unto Joshua, saying, Command the priests that bear the ark of testimony, that they come up out of Jordan. Joshua therefore commanded the priests, saying, Come ye up out of Jordan. And it came to pass, when the priests that bear the ark of the covenant of the Lord were come up out of the midst of Jordan, and the soles of the priests' feet were lifted up unto dry land, that the waters of Jordan returned unto their place, and flowed over all his banks, and as they did before. And the people came up out of Jordan on the tenth day of the first month, and encamped in Gilgal, in the east border of Jericho. And those twelve stones which they took out of Jordan did Joshua pitch in Gilgal. And he spake unto the children of Israel, saying, When your children shall ask their fathers in time to come, saying, What mean these stones? Then ye shall let your children know, saying, Israel came out, came over this Jordan on dry land. For the Lord your God dried up the waters of Jordan from before you until you were passed over, as the Lord your God did to the Red Sea which is dried up from before us until we were gone over that all the people of the earth might know the hand of the Lord, that it, it is mighty, that you might fear the Lord your God forever. You know, it was because of their unbelief that Israel was sentenced basically to wander the wilderness for 40 years. They came out of, they, I shouldn't say they escaped. Um, Moses led them out of bondage from Israel, and they were in the wilderness for 40 years. And remember, the 12 spies that went out in the book of Numbers, and we saw that there were 10 of them that didn't believe. They, you know what's fascinating about that passage of Scripture? In fact, we, we, if you will, turn with me to Numbers chapter 13. Numbers chapter 13. Because what's fascinating about this passage of Scripture is that these men, 10 of the men, saw something that was great, but yet at the same time, they did not have the trust, they did not have the faith that God would be able to provide for them. Look at Numbers 13, verse number 27. And he told him and said, We came unto the land whither thou sent us, and surely it flowed with milk and honey, and this is the fruit of it. 
Verse 28, Nevertheless, the people be strong did dwell in the land, the cities are walled and very great. And moreover, we saw the children of Anak there. So they confirmed, they saw something that was great. They saw the fact that it was a land of milk and honey, but yet at the same time, they doubted. They doubted. But here's, here's the sad truth, is that God promised them this land, but yet they doubted. And sadly, oftentimes, we live a life that is short-changed. We live a life that um, is not fulfilling because of the fact that oftentimes we're not trusting, we're not walking in faith, we're not tr trusting God for all things. You know, I talked to you guys in the prison, and one thing, a couple of things that um, guys are always praying for, first and foremost, is getting out, right? So it's a matter of seeing the parole board. And I always ask the guys, I say, so okay, if the parole board gives you a, um, uh, a date, a parole date, then what? What do you do after that? Or if you should get released, and then what? What do you do after that? Sadly, what happens is that these men, these men continue to come back to the system. The recidivism rate is so high. Why? Because of the fact that all the things that they're learning, the things that they, um, they read about in the Bible, they're not applying in their lives. And oftentimes, it's us. So hence, that's the reason why I've been trying to get the men to understand that the Old Testament, God's Word, is so important. In fact, Pastor talked about this morning, why we read the Bible. We read the Bible because it's encouragement for us. It strengthens our faith in the things that God is able to do. Because we know that the God of yesterday, the God that happened in the book of Joshua, is the same God that we worship today. The things that he did back then, he can also do for us today. Let's pray. Father, we thank you once again. And Lord, we are grateful. We are grateful for all that you do for us. But Lord, I pray that we would not forget the things that you have done, the things that you've done, not just in the Bible, but also in our lives personally, Father, and that we would remember those, those things that we may have thought that were impossible, but yet, because you are the God, God that uh, makes all things possible, that you were able to provide. So, Lord, I pray that through this lesson tomorrow that each and every one of us will understand or have a better understanding of how to get past our Jordan. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, the first thing that the people have to do was they have to get... They, they were wandering in the wilderness for 40 years. And sadly, what happened is that they wasted 40 years of their life. They didn't have to go through that. Because of what the, um, the, 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 the spies did, because they doubted God, what happened was there was a whole generation that had to die before they could get into the promised land. Now what we have here is Joshua is now taking them into the promised land. But there's one obstacle that lays before them. It is the Jordan River. And notice that the, the, the Bible tells us that this the passing of the Jordan River was during the times of the flood. I don't know about any of you all, but I know one of the things, I, I, I love to go hiking. Well, I used to love to go hiking. You know, it, as uh, Pastor mentioned earlier, that uh, you know, he's trying to push through. Uh, as we start to get older, somehow our endurance, our, uh, our, what do you call that, our conditioning seems to wear out. So I don't do as much hiking as I used to. But one of the things that... that I, I always did was this. I would check the weather to make sure that it's that we don't have a thunder shower or storms in the forecast. Because if it be, if there are storms in the forecast, the last thing you want to be doing is crossing a river in the midst of a storm. Why? Because when when the waters are gushing down these rivers from the rains that are happening up in the valley, the last thing you want to do is you want to cross. Because the, the current is so, so strong that you could be pushed down. The Bible tells us that they were crossing the Jordan River, not during regular time, 
you know, during the regular time, my understanding is that the Jordan River, it's a spot that they were crossing was only 100 feet wide. But if you know, it says that it was overflowing its banks. It was a time of flood. But this was what, this is the time that God wanted them to cross over. And what we all have to do is that we have Jordan rivers in our life. We, there are times that we, uh, from time to time, we need to face these. And I don't know what kind of obstacles or challenges that you're going through. Um, but I do know this, is that God specializes in overcoming the, thing, the overwhelming. You know, the things that overwhelm us. God is able to, to overcome all those things. And he, He's also capable and able to lead us to victory. So this morning, in this account of Israel... As they get past the Jordan River, what I want us to see is that something that happened 3,000 years ago is something that we, that, that we can learn from. There are three things that I want to point out this morning. The first one is I want to examine the message that Joshua, that God gave to Joshua, that Joshua gave the people. The second thing is that we need to expect the miracle. You know, God is a God of miracles. I'm not saying that, hey, just because we pray about something, that a miracle will happen. But our faith and our trust needs to be in God and God alone. And He is the God of miracles. He is. You know, pastor's talking about David. Folks, for those of you that are not familiar, David's three months old. I think he's less than three months old. This little baby that is 11, 12 pounds old, and pastor told you that the heart that's about yay big, right? And they did an open heart surgery. What's miraculous about this whole thing is the fact that not only did they do an open heart surgery on a three month old baby, but I saw pictures of this young boy and he's smiling and you can see his chest is, has stitches on it. I remember when pastor went through his bypass, it was not a pretty sight, but the, 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 the smile on David's face conveyed something that to me was just miraculous. How is it that this little baby that had his heart on his chest cracked open, not in more pain. Because I know that five years ago, pastor's closest and favorite thing was his heart pillow, that thing that he hugged that kept him close because it was the, the, the pain that he was going through was so much. Perhaps, I don't know, because this is a young baby and bones are growing, perhaps it's not as painful. I don't know. But all I do know is this, is that the doctors went in. They cut him open. They went in. And then they had to sew him up. And now, he, he, he possibly could be coming home within two weeks of the surgery. That is nothing short of spectacular, right? So, the three things. We, can, we need to examine the message. Expect a miracle. And the last thing is that we need to erect a memorial. Let's examine the first thing. We need to examine the message. And this message involved a challenge. It was a three-part challenge. There are three things that the Israelites had to learn from this. They had to watch God. They had to follow God. And then they had to honor God. And these things were uh, designed to help them better follow God. Oftentimes what happens is that the lessons that we learn, the things that we go through, are the best lessons, the things that we experience are the best lessons that we can um, have. Why? Because when we experience something, whether it be pain or gratitude, 
It's something that is within our brain so that it's like, wow, you know what? I don't want to experience that pain again. I'll give you a perfect example for myself. As in, you know, I have rheumatoid arthritis. So hence, I have to watch the things that I consume, the things that I eat. And one of the things that I do like to eat a lot of, or if I could, is ice cream. That is my favorite dessert. The problem with ice cream, though, for me, is that if I consume more than two scoops, I know that I will be walking in pain for the next couple of days. So it is a lesson that I've learned, is that if I do an overconsumption of something, something that is good, it could end up to be bad for me. But so, what happens? We, what we have is a situation in which um, the, the things that the, the Israelites did are some things that we could possibly learn from. So the first thing, they need to watch God. Look at verse number 3 there. In chapter 3, verse number 3. It says, And they commanded the people, saying, When ye see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God, and the priests, the Levites, hearing it, then ye shall move from your place and go after it. You know, the Ark of the Covenant was a special piece of tabernacle furniture. It symbolized the presence of God. And so what it, it represented the, the, the presence of God. So when God moved, they were supposed to move, right? When God stopped, they were also to do the same thing. And there, when we face times of crisis, one of the things that we need to do is we need to be sensitive to what God is trying to get across to us. We need to be sensitive to his movements. Is this something that God wants to uh, is, is, he, is he trying to stop me, prevent me, or is he allowing me to go through? I know that throughout my professional career, there are many times where I used to pray. I said, Lord, this opportunity has arisen. And you know me. It's like, I, as long as the door is open, I will walk through it. But Lord, if it's not your will, close the door. You know, there was a point in my, um, in my mortgage career where I had the opportunity to work for one of the largest banks in the nation. And I was like, all right, Lord, this sounds like a great deal. I could help a lot of people if this happens, but if it's not your will, close the door. Guess what happened? God closed the door. But at the same time, I had a great career. God provided. He closed that one door and he opened up something else. And sometimes that's, that's what God does. The second thing that we need to do is we need to follow God. Look at verse number three again. When ye see the ark of the covenant of the Lord your God and the priests, the Levites, bringing it, then ye shall remove from your place and go after it. They were supposed to follow. When they saw the ark of the covenant, when they, as the priests went through, then they were supposed to follow that. And that's what God wants us to do. He wants us to follow Him. We need to, we need to leave the place that we're at and go after Him. You know, Sadly, oftentimes what happens, I know this is very prevalent for myself, is that I get comfortable, right? I get comfortable in where I'm at. And oftentimes because I'm comfortable, I don't want to move. I don't want to leave. I don't want to try something new. You know, God closed one door for me last year. As far as my professional career was uh, concerned, I was like, okay, now what? Now what am I going to do? I've done this for the last 24 years. I don't know anything else. And I sat around for a few months. It was like, all right, what are we gonna do? So I, I'm applying for other jobs and stuff. 
And finally I said, you know what, Lord, I don't know what you want me to do. And then I get a call out of the blue from one of the prison chaplains. He tells me, hey, Hugh, I'm retiring on such and such date. I said, oh, did you notify the Department of Public Safety? And he said, yeah, I did. So I said, is it okay if I contact them and see if they're looking for another chaplain? Guess what? They were. Guess what? They accepted me. Guess what? Now I get to go into two different facilities five days a week. Great thing. You know, Pastor, I mean, that's how I met Pastor Ching, was because of his volunteering in the prisons. And I was doing that once a week. But being in the prison Monday through Friday, guess what? Gives you a totally different perspective of what goes on there. But more importantly is that it allows me to build stronger relationships with the men. And sadly, what happens is that there are so many different Christ churches that come in under this umbrella that's called Christianity that it's difficult for the men sometimes because you got churches that are teaching there's 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 a church that basically teaches that Jesus Christ is the Father the Son and the Holy Spirit they don't believe in the Trinity but you, and he comes in under the, the, the umbrella of Christianity so it is Bible believing Bible teaching volunteers that come in that are able to get these men on the right track. The problem though is this, is that if they're not reading God's word, it's very difficult. It's like, it's, it's like society today. Oh, how is it that you believe? Or who told you that? You hear something that's totally outrageous. Who told you that? Oh, I read it on, I don't know, Instagram or whatever social media outlet that people are looking for for their, for their news. No, what we need to do is we need to go back to the source. What's the source? Source of truth is the Bible, God's Word. That is something that we need to go back to. So they were supposed to watch God, then they were supposed to follow God, and then the third thing that they were supposed to do is that they were supposed to honor God. These are things, the challenges that God gave them. Um, and so look at verse number four. It says, Yet there shall be a space between you and it, about 2,000 cubits. 2,000 cubits is basically about 3,000 feet, right? Uh, a cubit is about a foot and a half. But when I talk about, when I mention following God, they were to follow after God. But we also need to be careful about the fact that I, I, I hear it often in the prison. It's like there's, one, there's a guy there. And I'm, I've tried to correct him. He's not a believer. He hasn't trusted in Jesus yet for his salvation. But he believes in a God. And he talks about the boss. <laughs> I said, the boss? I said, who's the boss? He said, you know, the man up there. I went, no, he's not the boss. He's God. He's a creator of the universe. He's a creator of you and I. He's not the boss. The boss is your work line boss. Right? The boss is when you go report to work, that's the boss. But God the creator, God that created the heavens and the earth, God that controls everything, he's not the boss. And we cannot act as if we're buddy buddies with him. You know, and that's the sad thing. It's like, yeah, you know, and, and sadly, because of the different churches, the different denominations that come in, oftentimes what happens is that they want you know, to try to ingratiate or make God more appealing to these men, they say that, yeah, you know, God is like a good friend. God is like, 
God is like uh, your best buddy and stuff like that. It's like, no. He does want what's best for us. He does love us. He does care for us. He does provide for us. But at the same time, God is also just. He meets out judgment. And he's fair in that regard. And I keep telling guys, I says, guys, you all have been through the criminal justice system. You all have been through the court system. God is the ultimate judge. He is the perfect judge. You know that, that the Lady Liberty or whatever she is, the one that has her uh, the blindfold on and justice is supposed to be equal. That's exactly who God is. He's equal in his justice. doesn't matter how good looking you are, how smart you are, how much money you have, what kind of house you have, the family that you have. No, none of that, none of that matters. What matters is this. Are we being obedient unto God? So he says that we need to honor him. And you know, what? like I said, we should never be guilty of treating God like one of our buddies. There always needs to be this holy reverence, but more importantly, a fear, a fear of God. The fear of God is what? The beginning of wisdom. If we want heavenly wisdom, one of the things that we need to do is perhaps we need to start beginning to understand that, hey, God can take us off the face of this earth at any time. The fact that each and every one of you are here today means that guess what? God has, is not done with you. He has something in store for you. The question is this, are you going to find what it is that God wants for you to do? Are you going to find um, the, the true will that he has for you? What is your calling? And so, Simply put, so if we're watching God, we're following God, we're honoring God. You know, these things, I tell the guys, that are best done, you know, it's a challenge. We live in the flesh. We still have to deal with the fleshly desires. But as Paul tells us in Galatians, that what, the ways in which we overcome this is by walking in the Spirit. Galatians 5, 16, 17, you don't have to turn there, I'll read it. It says, this I say then, Walk in the spirit, and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusted against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary, the one to the other, so that ye cannot do the things that ye would. You know, I haven't heard pastor say this in a long time, but I remember often he used to say this. Sin will keep you from the Bible, and the Bible will keep you from sin. One work line guys up at Halava like that so much, you put it up on the blackboard. So whenever they have chapel services, they can see it on this blackboard. Sin will keep you from the Bible, and the Bible will keep you from sin. Simple, right? If you want to stay away from something that you're not supposed to be doing, why not do the things that you're supposed to be doing? Because guess what? It's very difficult to be doing two things at the same time. I know Brother First used to say this. He used to say that if you're concentrating or if you're... Uh, he used to say, if you're uh, repeating or memorizing a verse, right? If something challenging, if a temptation enters into your mind, he said one of the best ways to get rid of it is to repeat a verse. Because what happens? When you have that verse in your mind, it's, I, I don't know about you all, but my brain is such that it can only focus on one thing at a time. You know, people talk about multitasking. I don't know, I question that. Because if you're multitasking, how good are you or how much attention are you giving to each task? 
Because if you're multitasking, that means that you're splitting your attention amongst many things, multiple things. So that means that you cannot give 100% to anything. You're not giving your breast to anything. You're kind of just doing, oh, I'm, I'm a great guy because I'm able to do three things at once. Really? How about doing one thing? Good. How about being a follower of Jesus Christ? Being the best that you can be at that. Because that's what God wants for us. He wants for us to be following Him. He wants to be, us to be obedient to Him. He wants us to be doing the things that He wants us, uh, that He would like, like us to do. So what we have here is that we, we, there is a message. This message involves a challenge, but it also involves a command. Look at verse number 5 there. And Joshua said unto people, Sanctify yourselves. You know, this is he's talking about us being clean and holy when we come to God. We're supposed to be putting away anything that's displeasing to the Lord. We're supposed to examine ourselves and get ready for the Lord to do something great in our lives. And one of the things that um, Joshua is telling these people is that they needed to sanctify themselves because something great was going to be was was going to happen. And but the first thing that they needed to do was they need to sanctify, they need to examine themselves. Psalm 26, 2 says this, Examine me, O Lord, and prove me. Try my reins and my heart. Examine. We take the Lord's Supper. Paul says this, For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, ye do show the Lord's death till he come. Wherefore, whosoever shall eat this bread and drink this cup of the Lord unworthily shall be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. For he that eateth and drinketh unworthily, eateth and drinketh damnation to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. Remember, God knows that each and every one of us will mess up. He knows that we'll fall short. Paul tells us multiple times, there is none righteous, no, not one. All, for all have sinned, and come show the glory of God. Hence, the, uh, the Apostle John tells us in the book of John that if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But notice, that is a conditional promise. If, if we do our part, God will do His part. But we need to do our part first before God does His part. God fulfills a promise. And so, he, he, God knows that we will. None of us are perfect, right? But at the same time, we need to do the best that we can as sin enters into our life. As, I mean, you know, like yesterday, what's fascinating is, is that, forgive me, but perhaps too much information, but I get up in the morning, one of the things before I do, before I go to work and stuff, is that I shower. So, I normally shower, most days I shower in the morning. But yesterday we went out knocking on doors and it was hot, it was sweaty. So what did I have to do? I came home and I had to shower again because I was sticky, I was stinky and all these different things. And it's the same thing with us. The, the sweat is, kind of, it, it is a type of sin. So if we're sinning, what we need to do is we need to get rid of that. The same way that I got rid of the sweat yesterday by jumping in the shower. And so, if we want to be a, do the things that God wants to do ourselves, uh, God wants us to do, one thing that we need to do is we need to sanctify ourselves. We need to cleanse ourselves. 
the third thing that he wants us to do is it involves a commitment, all right? Um, the Israelites are reminded that them getting across the Jordan did not rest on their shoulders, but on the Lord's. It was his plan to get them over. And it was his problem. Go back to um, a couple of chapters. Go back to uh, chapter 1. Look at what he says in two of these verses. First and foremost, he's talking to uh, <clears throat> Joshua. He says, Have not I commanded thee? Be strong and of good courage. Be not afraid, neither be thou dismayed. For the Lord thy God is with thee, whithersoever thou goest. All right? Just an Old Testament or an Old English word for wherever you're going. Right? Wherever you're going, God's there with him, with us. And then look at verse number 16 there. It says, And they answered Joshua, saying, all that thou commanded us, we will do. And whithersoever thou send us, we will go. The people were making a commitment, a promise to God. Wherever you, whatever you tell us to do, we're going to do. Wherever you tell us to go, we're going to go. They didn't, they didn't do a good job of keeping that promise. But at the same time, it's us also. It can apply to us. Lord, wherever you want me to be, that's where I'll go. See... I think in, in the modern age, one of the big challenges that many of us have is first and foremost is that we think that we do not have the talent to do something that God wants us to do. And I tell the guys in the prison is this, God's not looking for ability, He's looking for availability. Are you available for God to use you? Because Jesus was able to multiply a few loaves. Uh, 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 some fish to be able to feed thousands the, the, for us what we need to do is we need to turn it over to him allow him to do the multiplying allow him to use us so this commitment that the uh, the Israelites had it was it wasn't I mean it wasn't a commitment of the Israelites it was a commitment by God he had promised that he would he would do this that he would get them into the promised land. And if God could be trusted back then to keep his promises, can he not be trusted today to keep his promises? Can he not be trusted today to do the same? Maybe not opening up the Red Sea or drying up the Jordan River, but whatever it is that's challenging your life, can he not get you through that? Right? And Paul talks about in 2 Corinthians that. God allows us to grow through these challenges in life so that we can be an encouragement or testimony to other people. 2 Corinthians this is, uh, chapter 1, verses 3 and 4. And so what we need to do is that we need to just continue to walk in faith. The problem is that today we have too much worry and sometimes too much doubt. You know, there are five things that I have listed here, four things. We worry about tomorrow. What's going to happen about tomorrow, right? But yet, Jesus says, Take therefore no thought for tomorrow. For the morrow shall take thought for the things of itself. Sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. You know, worry. When we're worrying over things, it's basically saying that we don't trust God. And it's the same thing that, that Jesus said. He, he told his disciples that take no thought for your life. What ye shall eat, or what ye shall drink, nor yet for your body, what ye shall put on, is not the life more than meat, and the body more than raiment? 
And in this passage of scripture in Matthew chapter 6, verses 25 uh, to 33, I want to read down to, um, you don't have to turn there, let me just read it. It says, Matthew 6, verse 31, it says, Therefore, take no thought, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or wherewithal shall we be clothed? For after all these things do the Gentiles seek, for your heavenly Father knoweth that ye have need of all these things. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. The point is this. God knows exactly what we need. The problem that we have is that sometimes we get our, our wants and desires mixed up with needs. You know, three things that we really need. Air. Water and food. Three essentials of life, right? Go without air for three minutes, you die. Go without water for, I don't know, three to five days, you die. Go without food. Well, we know that Jesus was able to go without food for 40 days. But the point is this. Those are needs. But oftentimes, we think that we need certain things. Oh, I need a new van. Because my van is almost 20 years old. No, I don't. You know what? God has provided me a, a mode of transportation that's very dependable. It's been great for me. And until such time that he says, hey, it's not working or whatever it may be, I'll just continue to drive this thing. And I'm grateful for the fact that we have this. So we cannot be worrying about tomorrow. We can't be worrying about the material things that we don't have. We cannot be worrying about the various things that we face in life. The writer of Hebrews says in uh, Hebrews 35, says, Let your conversation be without covetousness and be content with such things as ye have. For he had said, I will never leave thee, nor forsake thee. You know, ultimately what it boils down to is that Jesus is all-powerful. He's all-knowing. He's, he's all-present. He knows what each and every one of us are going through. He knows everything there is to know about each and every one of us. And more importantly, He even knows more about you than we do, right? And what, what we need to do is that understand, what we have to understand is this. He is the Lord, right? He is greater than any problem that we have or ever will face in our life. And his desire is simply that we learn to take him at his word and trust in him. We need to remember that God says he will do. He, he, the promises that he made, he will, he will carry forth. So we examine the message. The second thing that we need to do is we need to expect a miracle. Look, jump down to verse 15 there in chapter, chapter 3. Excuse me. And as he as and as they that bear the ark were coming to Jordan, and the feet of the priests that bear the ark were dipped in the brim of the water, for Jordan overflowed all his banks, all time of harvest. So, like I said earlier, you know, the banks of the Jordan River were overflowing. But one thing is for certain is that there was only one way to deal with their problem, and that was going through it. You know. Faith will not get us around the problem. Oftentimes what we have to do is we have to go through that storm. You know, the I have a couple of friends that are commercial pilots. And one of the things that they'll tell me is that when they are in a storm, in the midst of a storm, they're, dry, they're, they're flying these planes. And they're, all they're looking at is their radars, right? 
because they cannot see 10 feet of 20 feet in front of them because it's just total, total black clouds. But one thing that they can see is this, is that they can see that they're in the midst of the clouds, but at the same time they can see outside of the cloud is sunshine, or, or, or is a bright day. And oftentimes what happens is that we get stuck in the midst of the storm, we get stuck in the midst of the cloud, and all we see are the rains, all we see is the thunder. But guess what? Tomorrow is a new day. Tomorrow is another day. Tomorrow is a day that when the sun will rise, the sun will shine. We cannot be stuck in the moment. We cannot be stuck in what's going on today. Whatever the challenge are, challenges are that we're going through, these, these, the Israelites had this Jordan River to face, to cross, and they needed to get through it. So what happens? There was no way around it. They couldn't build a bridge. They didn't have boats. The only way that they could do, uh, go through this was they needed to go through it. So hence, what we see here is that the problem, our problem, sometimes is the same one that these, the, the Israelite face. It's a difficult situation. But our problem oftentimes is that we forget about God. We only are focused on the problem. We're looking at the storms. But guess what? God sees the solutions. Not only does He see the solution, He knows what the solution is, right? He says, follow me. I have a plan. And in verse number 13 there, He does have a plan. Verse number 13. And it shall come to pass, as soon as the soles of the feet of the priests that bear the ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth, shall rest in the waters of Jordan, that the waters of Jordan shall be cut off from the waters that come down from above, and they shall stand upon a heap. You know, as I was reading through this passage of scripture, the word heap jumped out at me. What's a heap? You know, it's something that's piling up, something that's building up, right? And it says that the, 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 uh, the waters of the Jordan River shall stand upon a heap. What I do know is this. I don't know what it looked like back then, but I do know that there, need, there, need, there needed to be at least 600,000 armed, armed men they were, that were over 20 years old and their families that had to cross over. So I don't know, maybe a million, a million and a half people needed to go through this. A lot of people, right? But think about this. So the waters were backed up. They were backed up all the way into the city of Adam. My understanding is that it's like 20 miles up from where they crossed. But the point is this. How is it that God was able to keep the waters of the Jordan River from not touching the Israelites? Because it says that they built up in a heap. I don't know how this was, but at the same time, think about this. If you're backing up a river, right? If you're backing up a river, there's a what will happen? It'll overflow and it'll start coming around towards uh, around that uh, blockage. But in this situation, they cross they, they dry ground. God was able to do something. God was able to do something that was very special. And the, the plan was for them to have faith, trust God. You know, God was requiring them to take, take these steps of faith in order that they may see the Jordan parted, right? God had a plan. And before this plan to work, 
it required faith on the part of the people. And as long as we are trying to solve problems on our own, we're not walking in faith. It's when we step away from the problem and let God have it, let Him take care of it, that He is able to get the glory. Just a real quick quick aside, about 20 years, more than 20 years ago, I remember I was setting up these office cubicles, all right? For some of you guys may even work in some of these things, um, those, um, what do you call those? Um, they're not mobile cubicles, but you know, the, the cubicles that have walls anywhere between two to three to four feet high, you got desks, you got shelves and stuff like that. But you can set them up in pretty much any way you want. Uh, they're designed, they're, they're designed to be um, assembled in the fashion that you need it to be. Anyway, I had these two corners that needed to be joined. The way you join them is you put these corners together and then you drop down this thin, thin metal rod and they will lock it in place. And I kept dropping this rod down and this thing would not go in. It, it just stuck about a foot in, it would stop. I sh shone a flashlight in there and I couldn't see what was blocking. I was just frustrated, I was like, I kept moving the, the corners, moving it this way, this way, trying to, I took it apart, tried to put it back, back together again, but I could not get the rod down. And finally, out of frustration, I just sat down and went, Lord, I need help. And next thing I know it is, shh, the rod just dropped down. I was like, what? Here I was, 10 minutes, I was just doing all this stuff. And finally, when I finally gave it up to God, I didn't do anything, I didn't touch anything. All I know is that that rod just dropped down. Perhaps it was trying to teach me something because here I was trying to build this on my own rather than allowing God to guide me in a situation. But it's the same thing for all of us. Oftentimes what happens is that we're not trusting God. God has a plan, but yet we, we tend to get in, in the way of this plan. And so the people cross over and this might have, I look at this as, this was truly a miracle that came from God, right? The, the, the priest stepped into the water, and then the water backed up, and the, pe the people were able to go over on dry ground the same way, if you read the Exodus crossing, that they walked on dry ground. The same thing here. So what happened? They crossed over. But God also told them something, is that they needed to erect a memorial. So third point, the purpose of the memorial. It tells us that... To, uh, first of all, that it was a reminder for successive generations of the power and the faithfulness of God on behalf of the people. Take a look at um, Joshua chapter 4 and verses 6 and 7. It says that this may be a sign among you that when your children ask their fathers in time to come, saying, What mean ye by these stones? Then ye shall answer them that the waters of Jordan were cut off before the ark of the covenant of the Lord when it passed over Jordan. The and the waters of Jordan were cut off, and these stones shall be a memorial unto the children forever. And then drop, jump down to um, verse 21. Oh, uh, verse 20. And these stones which they took out of Jordan did Joshua pitch in Gilgal, and he spake unto the children of Israel, saying, When your children shall ask their fathers in time to come, saying, What mean these stones? Then ye shall let your children know, saying, Israel came over this Jordan on dry land. For Lord your God dried up the waters of Jordan from before you until you're passed over as the Lord your God did as, as, to the Red Sea, which you dried up from before us until we're gone over. Verse 24. 
that all the people of the earth might know the hand of the Lord that it that is mighty, that you might fear the Lord your God forever. This memorial, the purpose of this memorial was to show what God was able to do. But more importantly, it was also a testimony. So when people asked, hey, what is this? They could testify to what God did, how he parted the waters, how he was able to get the people across. Uh, across. And in 1 Chronicles 16, 24, it says, declare his glory among the heathen, his marvelous works among all nations. Folks, that's what we're supposed to be doing, declaring, telling people, what God has done in our lives. Oftentimes what happens is that we tend to keep things to ourselves. I notice that you know some young kids say, praise the Lord. How is it that they know pray, they, they're praising, praising the Lord? Well, because their parents taught them. When things happen, when God is able to move in their lives, the, the one and only one that we give praise to and honor to is God. Praise the Lord. So, this memorial was an honor to God. It was a remembrance. But it also says that it was for that all nations could know what God was able to do. But there was also a second memorial. Look at verse number 9 in chapter 4. And Joshua set up 12 stones in the midst of Jordan, in the place where the feet of the priests which bear the Ark of the Covenant stood, and, there, and they are there unto this day. So there was a second memorial, but that memorial was in the midst of the Jordan River. Nobody could see it. You know, oftentimes, when the first few times that I read through this, uh, this passage of scripture, it's like, why would God put a memorial in a place where nobody could see? It didn't make sense. But then as I thought about it, as I meditated upon this, it did make, it began to make sense. Because the one on the bank of the Jordan River was a picture of the faithfulness of God. The one that was inside the Jordan River where nobody could see, I believe was a picture of the faith of the people. Because what it was that, that although nobody could see it, the people knew exactly the fact that it was there. The people also knew that they were trusting God. That they, that they believed in God. And oftentimes that's what happens with us. Is that we may not. God may move in our lives. He may do things in our lives. And sometimes it's hard to even um, testify to that. Because people go, nah. God could not have done that. How could he? It, it sounds so unbelievable what God has done in our lives. And, but at the same time we can hold it in our heart and know. That, you know what? You may not believe it, but I do. I know that God was faithful. I know that God did this. I, there was no way that, that I could have survived this particular situation or whatever it may be. So we see this, the faithfulness of God. So we have these two memorials. And oftentimes what happens is that I'm not telling you to build memorials, but what you do need to do is that when God does move in your life, when God does do something special in your life, you need to testify about it. You need to let other people know, know how God, how, how great God is. The fact that our God can do all things. There's nothing too small for our God. There is nothing that is impossible for God. Whenever we have the opportunity, whenever we can testify about what God is doing in our life, what we want to do is we want to draw people in. Part of the real, part of the way in which we draw people in is to encourage, 
to encouragement, the things that God has done in our lives. Hey, you know what? I trusted in Jesus, and this is these are the things that happen. Small things. For myself personally, I, I tell the guys, I says, you know, when I trusted in God, one thing that He did for me was He took He took He did two things in my life. The first thing He did was He removed nicotine from my life. Temptation of nicotine was gone. The second thing that He took away from me was I should say that He took it. He didn't take it completely away from me because sometimes I need to be cognizant. I need to be remind myself was swearing. I swore like a trucker, man. It was embarrassing the way in which I spoke. In fact, even today when I listen to my sister talk, sometimes I go, oh, <laughs> I can't believe. That is, uh, is hard to listen to. But then when I say I can't believe, is that I can't believe that I was even worse than her. But God removed it. See, here's, here's what we have to understand. All of us may have a Jordan River. But ultimately, what we have to know is this, is that God is faithful. What He wants us to do is He wants us to trust Him. We need to understand that first and foremost is that if we do have a challenge in our life, examine. Let's take a look. Is there something in my life that's preventing me from going forward? Is there something in my life that I need to confess with God? Is there something in my life that's causing this situation to happen? Because if it is, then we need to get rid of it. Secondly, is that we need to know and believe that God wants what is best for us. He does. Oftentimes, though, we need to learn it by hard lessons. Remember that He will chastise us. Because what? Because He loves us. Because we're not bastards. We are one of His own. So He'll correct us like a loving father, like a loving mother, like a parent. He will do that for us. And I want to end with this. Is that all of us, at one time or another, face challenges, face troubles. But I also want you to know that we can get over. We can cross that Jordan River. Whatever it is that's preventing us from crossing over. Whatever it is that's preventing us from trusting God. Today is the time. Today is the time. Today's the day to say that, Lord, I do believe in you. I trust you. I know that you want what's best for me. Please show me. Guide me. Get me out of the way and allow your Holy Spirit to lead, to guide. And see what happens. But more important is that, that you can experience the victories that God wants you to do so that you can be a memorial to other people. You can be a testimony to other people of what God has done in your life. The Jordan Rivers don't have to hold us back. They can open us up to possibilities, the possibilities of what God is capable of doing in our lives. Let's pray. Father, we thank you once again. And Lord, there are times where we, 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 we look at uh, situations, Father, and we think there's no way, there's no way that we're going to be able to get through this. But yes, it is true. There's no way that I can get through it. But we know that all things are possible with you. So I pray, Father, that if there's anybody here that's encountering challenges, that's encountering hard times, Father, that they will turn to you, trust you, the same way that the Israelites trusted you, part the Jordan River, part the Red Sea. For Lord, 
you to keep our enemies at bay, but more importantly, Father, is that when we are obedient unto you, we know that you continue continue to guide. So I pray that we would stay soft, soft to your guidance, soft to your will, and soft to hear your voice, Lord. We just pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, this week, read your Bible and spend some time in prayer every day a little bit and learn to trust God. All right, we're glad you came to church today. If you're a bit tired, welcome to the club.